This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Julian McKenzie on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Yeah, I think that's that's a big focus. I think there's two games here. We got to focus our mindset on tonight and, and worry about what we what we have to do to, to prepare to, to get ready and, and uh, play this game against Columbus and um, obviously fix our start compared to last game and, and kind of get back to our game. I think like a couple weeks ago, you know, we were, we were streaking, we were going really well. We've had a bit of a dip here, but I think we believe in this dressing room. We're, we're confident in ourselves. We know what type of team we can be when we play our games. So I think it's just getting back to that. The Calgary Flames have two games to go before the NHL's All-Star break. And as you heard there, they would love to end a four-game losing streak, a three-game losing streak, excuse me, after a four-game winning streak came to an end as this homestand began. Welcome into Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. And as we always do on Thursdays, very happy to have in the co-host chair along with me. You know him, you love him from the athletic Julian McKenzie. J Mac, what's up? What it do, baby? Oh, excited tonight for the Blue Jackets and the Flames, my man? I don't think I've ever been this excited for a Blue Jackets Flames game in my life. We got a lot to get to on this game day. Yes, it is the Flames and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Another return for Johnny Gaudreau to the city he once made famous for his. Wonderful times as Johnny Hockey will hear from the former Flame coming up in just a little bit. We have waiver news to pass your way on this Thursday. And we might just have a pretty massive return to talk about when it comes to the Calgary Flames. All of that for a 7 o'clock puck drop. 6 o'clock Flames War with the one and only Pat Steinberg. He'll get you set for the Flames and the Jackets. Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson have the call at 7 p.m. Right here on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Lots to get to on this Thursday program. Obviously, lots of focus on the Flames and the Blue Jackets. We'll take a look at the opposition, the Columbus Blue Jackets, with our pal Aaron Portsline, who covers the Jackets for the Athletic. Thursdays also mean a chat with our favorite Adnan Verk from MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. Got a new class of Hall of Famers to talk about with Adnan. I'm sure Julian will probably want more on his uh, Tom Cruise hatred. I can't wait to, <laughs> to hear him. That's one of my favorite radio moments of all time, hearing him go in on Tom Cruise. I hope we saved that clip. I think we did. Uh, we're live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios on this Thursday. For Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Shan and Cam are outstanding producers on this Thursday. Fan feedback line open to you at 960-960. would love to hear from you on this Thursday. And, GMAC, we've got a ton to talk about when it comes to the Calgary Flames. It's a game day. They're looking to end a three-game losing streak at home as they welcome in the Columbus Blue Jackets. But what can we tell you on this Thursday? Well, two Flames were placed on waivers Wednesday. We can tell you that both of them have been claimed by separate teams. Adam Ruzichka is now a member of the Arizona Coyotes, while Nick Simone has been claimed by the New Jersey Devils. Let's start there, Julian. Uh, I mentioned it a bit once Adam was placed on waivers, a bit more of this conversation as he was a healthy scratch. 
uh, last time out for the Calgary Flames. Adam can be one of those frustrating guys because you see the tools, you see the ability, but the consistency in his game makes him very hard to trust from a coaching perspective. And I think we've learned that the fourth line is not where he's set to succeed at the NHL level. Where are you on Adam Ruzichka's now former tenure with the Calgary Flames and the news today that he's off to Arizona? Yeah, a bit of a tough one for him. This is a guy who you would hear it from him. You would hear it from the coaches. You could see it for yourself. Consistency just wasn't there for him. I could understand that him in the fourth line role might not have been the best for him. This is a guy that even Daryl Sutter before Ryan Huska knew that Adam Rosicka's future was not to be on the fourth line. And you weren't going to get the best out of him, but I, it just in the moments where he needed to show where he could be more than a fourth line player, it just seemed like he didn't do it enough, which is a shame because when he did look good and you, and you mentioned those tools when he did look good, you thought, wow, like this is a guy who could, maybe find a future for himself in the lineup. But when he's not playing well, there are nights you don't really notice him, which for a player at his point in his career, you can't have that. I'm really curious about how he'll work in Arizona. We were both looking at the lineups and and the forward combinations uh, just before we got on air here. And this is a player who you can put him on center. You can put him on the left wing, but looking at the Arizona lineup, where exactly do you slot him? I mean, you don't want to put him on a fourth line role, but is that the best place to put him? Do you put him on a third line? Uh, I realize with, with daily face off, maybe the lines are not always exactly up to date, but just, it still gives a really good idea. Maybe there's a world where Rosichka, Cooley, Dylan Genther could work, but who knows you, you're taking, you might have to take out a Jason Zucker to make that work. You're not taking out Michael Carcone who has 15 goals this year playing in a bottom six. Matias Michelli, there was a lot of people talking him up about his rookie season last year. And Clayton Keller, I mean, he's your top player on this team. I don't know how much right wing Adam Rizicka has played. I don't know if there's an option for him on that side. And at center, Nick Bukestad, on the, Nick Bukestad Alex Kerfoot, Logan Cooley, Jack McBain, whose spot is he taking? I wonder how he'll be placed in that Arizona lineup and if it'll just be more of what he experienced in Calgary. But I could be wrong. I don't follow the Arizona Coyotes every day, but... I was, I was convinced that he was going to go to a Chicago or a Montreal off waivers, two teams that are a little bit worse in the standings and probably could use a body like an Adam Rizicka who they could at least put in a middle six and give more opportunity because this is a player at his point who needs to have those opportunities and he needs to be around better quality players, but he also needs to step up and be consistent. I, at, at least from my vantage point, I don't know if I see it for him in Arizona and in Calgary, just, he just didn't play well enough to warrant more than the time that he was getting. Yeah, it can be frustrating, and I've seen it already on the text line that you you lose an asset, quote-unquote, for nothing. I mean, I got to be honest with you. I don't think Adam Ruzicka was getting you a draft pick back in a trade right now. I, I think this was the perfect candidate, like you said, for a Chicago, uh, a San Jose maybe, you know, for a guy that – for a team that maybe didn't have anything to lose to say, hey – we're going to give you a month in the top six and prove it to us that you can be this kind of guy on most nights because right now the results for us 
are kind of secondary. I mean, does the right? Flames have the flame? Do the Flames have the time to do that right now? No, and that's what I mean is no. if you're Chicago, if you're San Jose, one of those teams that we mentioned, that's the perfect opportunity to take that. I agree. I just it wasn't going to happen here in Calgary. Uh, I think he was given you know if you want to to criticize how they handled the Matthew Phillips situation last year, I don't think you can use the same. Thing here in Calgary, Adam Ruzicka played a lot of games at the NHL level under different coaches here in Calgary and in different roles. It, it just never clicked. And as we, you know, did with the Arizona lineup, I continued to look at this Flames lineup and I just didn't see who he was taking out of the lineup right now. Could it have been a situation where he would have been a great ad to go back to the Wranglers and maybe rediscover his game? Sure, but it sure feels like a, a change of scenery was probably best for both sides here. I think so, especially with, with some of the guys you still have to add to the lineup, like a Jacques Pelletier. Like, someone was going to have to move, uh, and I, I thought Rizicka was looking even, like an... Even when Kevin Rooney gets healthy. If like, you are want, you not going to want to give him a spin on the fourth line if sure. they still haven't figured it out? Sure, I, I, you give him that option, but yeah, I felt I felt that with those two players... Being available, a guy like Adam Rzichka, his place in the lineup, unless he he really showed up and played well, it was going to be in question. Uh, Nick D. Simone also claimed off of waivers on this Thursday by the New Jersey Devils. Uh, Nick D. Simone, twenty nine years old, right shot defenseman, who I thought at times uh, this season Julian looked like a good option for the Flames, rolling in that six seven kind of D option. He played in four games last year, got into twenty three this year. Put up five points, um, but I think is you know going to be more of a casualty of what we get into next. And I was a bit more surprised to see D. Simone claimed. Uh, Me too. I'm in now, the same boat. In, in the same sentence, New Jersey is uh, losing a defenseman for a situation that we're we're not going to dive into, and perhaps needed uh, a body that they could get into the lineup as soon as possible. But. Uh, I think, uh, again, Nick Simone for what he was here in Calgary, as a 6th, 7th defenseman, I, not something I think we're going to lose sleep over as the guy you lose from your lineup. It hurts your depth for sure. But, you know, uh, these, I, I think, replacement-level defensemen, Julian, probably easier to to live with if you're the Calgary Flames getting claimed off of waivers. Yeah, and plus you have players in the AHL who... I mean, I'm trying to think of right shots in particular, but just as, as the overall defensive depth, as good of a player as Nick DeSimone showed uh, during his time in Calgary, they have players at the back end who they can call up and, and fill up spots and stuff. So while I, I I think I was more surprised about Nick DeSimone getting called up at the same time, I know it won't necessarily hurt the Flames that much because their, 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 their depth on defense as a whole is pretty good. But I, I thought that, at least for what he showed, I thought, okay, like this is a guy you can at least kind of have him come up and down from the NHL, to the HL. And I wasn't sure how other teams were going to value him, but for a team like New Jersey, you mentioned they do need a body. Uh, it does make sense why they would make that addition. Um, but yeah, I, 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 for, for Nick DeSimone to get into that situation, I was a little bit surprised. Now the bigger picture of why Nick DeSimone was placed on waivers, uh, you might have heard there was a defenseman back at practice with the Calgary Flames this week who was making progress towards an NHL return. And while not official at the time that we do this show, Julian, it sure looks like this is part of the plan for Oliver Shillington to make his NHL return 
Thursday night at the Scotiabank Sound. Again, at the time of this show that me and Julian are doing it right now, it has not been made official by the Calgary Flames. Um, as we're speaking right now, he is still technically on an LTIR roster spot. Um, but with these two players getting claimed, and specifically with Nick Simone opening up a roster spot, whether he was claimed or was going to be sent down to the Wranglers, uh, it opened up the needed roster space to bring in number 58 and all signs point to this being the first game back for Oliver Shillington at the NHL level in quite some time. And Julian, the excitement level uh, has got me going. I'm incredibly excited um, once this gets made official and we get to actually talk about Oliver Shillington back in an NHL lineup. It looks like he's going to be paired with Jordan Osterley on the third pairing. It would be his first NHL game in almost exactly 20 months. This is a massive, massive story for the Calgary Flames. And a great story. Yes. I, I think we're, you know, we're not made of stone here. We're allowed to root for great stories. I've I've never gotten to really know Oliver Shillington as long as I've been here because he was away for personal stuff. But in talking to people in the organization, outside the organization, who have, who have known Oliver, he comes across as a good person. And for him to endure whatever he endured, we know it was a, it was a family issue. That's at least what was said uh, publicly uh, when Brad Tree Living was still general manager. Uh, for him to endure that and, and bounce back from that, I have to give him props. And I'm, I'm happy that he's able to make that return. His teammates seem very excited as well. Uh, even Johnny Gaudreau, who plays for the Columbus Blue Jackets now and was a longtime teammate of his and he even told us today that it was a guy who he had pregame mil- meals with almost every day uh he was excited for him too it's a good story and for a team like the flames uh that has gone through the ups and downs of a season that they've gone through and we still don't know what their future is going to be with the roster and a couple of other players this is a nice feel-good story that fans can get behind and for Oliver himself, he can take a moment, another moment for himself and just be thankful and be happy that he was able to do the work to get himself in a position where he's here. Like I'm hearing him talk earlier this week saying that he had a moment where he thought about everything going on and he realized, you know what, there was a, there was a point where he didn't think he'd be in the spot that he was in. Like that, that hits. Yeah, I believe that was after his first practice back with the with the Flames, right? That's when he said that? Yeah, that 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 hits, I think, for... I mean, I think just as a as me as a neutral observer, just like seeing what's going on and realizing like, wow, like this person really endured a lot. And and even management, like a, there's an article from The Athletic I wrote on this that will drop uh, once it's official that he'll be back in the lineup. And to to hear from Craig Conroy about how even he thought that this was just going to be like a month setback or two months setback. And you have no idea how long he's going to be away for. And then all of a sudden he's gone for a season and then you think, okay, will he be back for the start of, this, of the next season? No, it turns out he, he's still not in that right place. Yeah, just hearing about the, the process and the waiting game and, and, and trying to still be supportive for Oliver, that was also fascinating to me too. And, and, and it, seems as if, it, seems, it seems as if for that situation, as everyone was pretty patient as they could be and they did everything they could to kind of reintegrate him back. But everyone was just kind of wondering when he'd be back. And now we don't have to ask those questions anymore. Uh, you know, it's still a process. You, you, I'm sure the team is, is going to continue to work with him and, and continue to provide that support. And his teammates, again, seem supportive. But 
for for Shillington to be back if it does end up being the case. Ryan Huska himself said that he just needs to be taken off of LTI. Yeah. But if he is back tonight, there's going to be a massive crowd at the Saddle Dome that will be cheering him on and giving him a loud ovation. And I think he deserves it. I don't think we appreciate enough how hard it is to walk away from something like this for a guy like Oliver Shillington. I know a lot of people and I've read the comments. I've seen them on social media while well, he's a millionaire and gets paid and the flames are helping him through this. And my work would never help me through this. And I'd never be given a year off. And I get it. We're not all in the same situation in life, but I, I think people need to understand. And what I've come to understand following this story with Oliver you're in a dream spot. You're a kid in your mid-20s who grew up in Sweden playing hockey and you reached the NHL and you just had, Julian, you just had your breakout season in the NHL. When you and me had this conversation, I know you weren't here earlier in Oliver's career, that season before he had a breakout year, people were wondering about his future with this team mm -hmm. and in the NHL if he was ever going to make it. And he finally busted through that ceiling and people were excited about it and the future that he was going to have as this young puck-moving defenseman on the Calgary Flames. And he's going to be there with Rass and Noah going forward, and it's all exciting. And then life smacks you in the face, and it smacks you in the face so hard that you have to take a step away from your dream. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what kind of personal situation you're in in life. That's not easy for anybody. It's so damn hard to get to the NHL, to get to live out your dream and to continue playing these games as, as adults and as people, you know, throughout the years. I don't think we ever appreciated enough how hard it must have been at 24 years old to say, I can't do this right now. Yes, I love hockey and I love playing in the NHL and living out my dream but I'm just not in that spot because there's no guarantee you ever get back, right? There's no guarantee in as a business. And yes, it is, has it been great to see the Calgary Flames be so supportive and be there for Oliver at every step? You're damn right it's been great. Mm -hmm. But there's no guarantee. There's never – it's a business, and it's about winning hockey games, and it's about putting the best team out there. There's no guarantee – that the Flames, you know, we're going to say, here, oh, there's a spot for you right when you come back, right? You've got to prove that you're you're ready to go and that you're going to be an asset to the Calgary Flames. But for him to have walked away from that and taken that chance and built back up to it, to me is just, it's a testament to the young man. It's a testament to the support system around him that includes the Calgary Flames, that includes his teammates, and his friends and his family to be able to pick him up and help him get back to there. I, like this is, as we talked about, it's not a physical injury. It's not the same as, you know, blowing your knee out or having shoulder surgery, but it still requires its own level of rehab and its own level of having to work your way back into it. And it's just a different way of doing it, Julian. And I, I give the guy so much credit and you're so right that when he gets that, ovation at the Scotiabank Saddle. like, I know he will. Yeah. Because I know how Flames fans feel about this guy and how much 
they want to show their appreciation for him working his way back to this level as well. It's just, it's going to feel so good for everybody. And you can't help, but I can't wait to see that smile on his face. That's always what I think about when you think about Oliver is that, that cheeky little grin on his face, right? And we've seen more of that in his press conferences and we've seen it from him at practice. And um, it's just, it's one of those stories you can't help, but, but love it. And I can't, I can't wait. I'm so happy that we're finally at this point because as Oliver said, even as observers, Julie, I don't, I don't know that I thought it was going to happen when it came back to training camp and we heard that Oliver was back in Calgary and ready to go. And then that first day, sitting at the Scotiabank saddle, and we all got that notice on our phones. And it goes, Oliver's not going to be on ice to start training camp. You went, man, damn yeah. it. Yeah. And the wild thing too is like, like the day before there were like, like the team was doing promotional shoots and there was like a screen grab. I was able to, I was able to pull from like flames TV where you see him in one of those videos. Like, like it's one thing for him to be excited about it, but like it, he was there. He's there. Like you, you're, you're so close to seeing him back, and then he's just not mentally there, and that's why he's not available to start off a training camp. But at least for for the team, they said, you know what? We're gonna give you the right medical professionals to talk to to help you get through this, and where you'll be able to skate on your own. And he eventually get works his way up to that point where he skates with injured teammates. And the most important thing is that they go at his own pace. Uh, and talking to Craig Conroy about that, that's at least what was stressed to me. This wasn't a situation where they put this plan together and they're like, by this day, you should be able to do this. By this day, you should be able to do this. My understanding is the Flames tried to just go at his pace and go at his own speed. And they go to him and they're like, hey, like, are you comfortable to do this? Are you comfortable to do that? And he would give them the green light, essentially. Uh, even the day... Even the day when we uh, we got him in the locker room to talk, uh, I, I my understanding is he was requested to talk, and a lot of people. It seemed like it was going to be unlikely. It didn't seem as if it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then the availabilities that we had finished, and then at the last second, to the team was like, you know what, we're actually going to have him. I, I don't know exactly what the specific conversation was like between the team and and the player in that moment. But I know, speaking for all the guys who were were covering that day as reporters, I don't think the expectation was that we were going to get him. He was asked for, but the expectation until they told us, Team PR, was that we were going to probably not get him. So when we got him, it was like, okay, like this is what it is. So I I can imagine he probably said something. But my understanding is the Flames are, are handling this as best as they could handle it by just going at his own speed and... It's new for them too. It, no, that, that's it. No but it, playbook for this. It's new for so many teams. We're in a world now where I was asking other colleagues at the Athletic about this, but like we're starting to see we're starting to see more guys who take that time away for for personal mental health reasons. Like in in Montreal, when Jonathan Drouin was still a player there, he was away for anxiety and, and insomnia. That was mm-hmm. a big deal over there. Uh, Slater Cuckoo just got up and walked away from hockey while he was a member of the Edmonton Oilers. Um, I think it was, I, I need to double check the name. It might've been Alexandre Texier with the Columbus Blue Jackets as well, who also needed some time away uh, from, from playing hockey. This is something that is very new for teams and general managers are talking to each other, wondering how, what's the best way to go about it. And not even just for players too, like employees in the front office. Staff you got to think about the staff yeah. members as well. Like this is something that 
uh, NHL teams are working with each other with on, on the fly and figuring out what works best. And I'm sure the NHLPA gets involved too. And it's very new. And, and, and you mentioned it, like if this is not a sprained angle, this is not a broken foot. This is not a visible injury. You could see, you could see a guy just carrying on as you describe Oliver Shillington, multimillionaire, young mid twenties guy living the time of his life in good shape. You think everything is right. You never, ever, ever know what a person really is going through. You know, even if they they bear their soul to you eventually, like you never know what they go through. You never know what they endure. And I'll say this. I'm sure there have been people here who have, you know, openly wondered aloud, like, hey, what, like, what's the deal with Shillington? You, you, I see him on these photos with on the boat and all that. And you're like, what's going on? Like, what is he doing? I thought for the most part, fans and media, and, and please don't take this as me trying to pat media on the back for this. I'm just making the observation here. I thought a lot of people were pretty respectful. Yep. Of the situation you could if this depending on what market this is you could have people on on radio stations and podcasts openly questioning what's going on and coming up with a whole bunch of bogus speculation and and saying that they might be greedy saying they have all this money and they're just taking this this layoff like you know suck it up and all that and you know what if this happened maybe like a decade ago maybe people would do really do that on on mass but i think for the most part i what has really what has really surprised me for the good is how people in this market generally treated the Oliver Shillington situation as a very sensitive matter. And they respected generally speaking his, his privacy, not to say that people weren't wondering what happened, but I thought for the most part, people were pretty good with Oliver and, and his situation. Uh, we'll have more on this as the show goes on, but quickly uh, before we get out of here and turn uh, our attention to the Columbus Blue Jackets, how big is this one tonight for the Flames, Julian Columbus? Twenty oh ninth in uh, league standings as we uh, interaction on Thursday. I mean, look, it, it, <laughs> they need to win tonight. They need to win on Saturday against Chicago. It's imperative that they do that. They need to continue chasing these teams in the standings. And we saw what happened at the beginning of the month with Chicago. I don't think you're allowed to say. Uh, with the Flames, like, oh, yeah, it's just a, a team that's in this low rank in the standings. You're not allowed to do that anymore because we've seen this team lose to uh, teams below them in the standings and give away points. I, I, I think the St. Louis, the St. Louis Blues are in the situation that the, the Flames are in. They're trying to chase a playoff spot. They were already on the point of giving away a point up until uh, that late goal from Brandon Saad uh, won the game in regulation for St. Louis. Calgary cannot cannot slack off tonight. They cannot slack off on Saturday against Chicago. They need four out of a possible four uh, going forward. He's Julian McKenzie. I'm Logan Gordon. We're here for another edition of Sportsnet today here at uh, Sportsnet 960. The fan, we're live in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Still to come uh, around the corner, we'll be joined by Aaron Portsline of The Athletic to take a look at tonight's opposition for the Calgary Flames. It is the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, it's been another down year for the Jackets, who are trying to stay out of the basement of the NHL standings once again. Uh, and then later on, Adnan Verk's going to join us, uh, as he always does on a Thursday, and we'll continue to get you set for the Flames and the Blue Jackets on what it looks like will be Oliver Shillington's return to the NHL. Keep it locked right here. More Flames coverage coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Yeah, Logo and J-Mac along with you on a game day. The Flames and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Always a lot of fun when Johnny Gaudreau makes his way back to Calgary. 
Six o'clock, Pat Steinberg's got your Flames warm-up. Seven o'clock, Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson have another edition of Flames Hockey live here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Julian, I'm not sure if you've noticed. I'm sure you have as you get uh, ready for the show, but not a great year in Columbus again for the Blue Jackets. And as we get set for tonight's game, they have not won in regulation since December 19th when they visited the Buffalo Sabres. They've played 13 games since then without winning in regulation. They've won three games in the shootout or overtime, six regulation losses, six overtime and shootout losses. They're looking to avoid tying the longest streak this season without a regulation win. That was the Anaheim Ducks who reached 14 games in a row without a regulation win. Things not going great for Columbus, but Flames are on a three-game losing streak of their own. We'll see what happens today at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. And to help us take a look at the opposition, very happy to welcome this man into the program. Does a great job covering the Columbus Blue Jackets for the Athletic. It's Aaron Portsline joining us this afternoon. Aaron, thanks for the time as always, man. How are you? Yeah, good day, gentlemen. Good. How are you doing? We're doing great. Uh, looking forward to uh, another fun game day tonight between the Flames and the Blue Jackets. I just went through that with sure. Julian. It's been a, a tough stretch of hockey for the Blue Jackets who haven't been able to get a regulation win since December. What's the, the mood around the team as they uh, get ready for these last couple of games before the All-Star break, Aaron? Yeah, well, there's lots of frustration. I think uh, that's fair to say. I, I You know, the, the weird thing is the the organization here spoke before the season started as, as though they expected to be a playoff team. Usually it's fans that are are uh, unrealistic with their expectations. I think even in that case, some fans went, really? Like, after, after the way last season went? This season has been similar to last season, but it has been, I think, for most people, a lot easier to watch because you can start to see what the future looks like a little bit. Fantilli is a really good young player. Uh, Cole Sillinger has turned into a really good 200-foot player. Igor Chinikov is has developed into a dangerous player now most nights. There's still a, a lot of issues, obviously, but you can see a cluster of young players that are are going to have bright futures in the NHL. So it's not without hope. It's not without a lot of of uh, smiles and, and uh, celebrations in the short term, certainly, but I think you can look at a lot of players on this lineup and think they're maybe are headed in the right, in the right way. Hey, Porty, it's Julian. Hope you're doing well, man. Uh, just wanted to ask about yeah, Adam Fantilli and uh, his debut season yeah. so far. 11 goals, 25 points, uh, getting used to, you know, just living the life of an NHL player and, and, and right. all the adventures. And earlier in the year, we we're making jokes about uh, the, the air fryer stuff. Like, what's it been like following Adam Fantilli as he goes through his uh, debut season? You know, he's been really good. He's been really good. It's a little weird right now. He, some of his best hockey was played maybe a, a month or so ago for in a two or three week span when Boone Jenner was out of the lineup with the broken jaw. Fantilli really stepped into the number one center spot and there's a bit of a baptism. Here's, here's some face-offs. Here's some big time matchups. See what you can do. And he did pretty good. I think there's some concern about his, as you would expect for a 19 year old center in the NHL, some of his play uh, without the puck, especially in his own zone. I think there's been some liabilities there. 
But on the whole, really positive season on and off the ice. The kid is, he has everything that he was cracked up to be just a, a real, a leader, a future leader. He looks like a very composed young man. I'm, I'm always amazed at how some of these kids come into the league. I, can't imagine some of the dumb stuff I would have said at 18, 19 years old <laughs> if given that kind of money and, and that sort of athletic prowess. He's just very composed and nothing seems too big for him uh, at any point. Um, so he's, yeah, he, if he's the fruit of the suffering last season, I think in the future some people will say it was worth it. Uh, Aaron, I want to ask you about another young player in this Columbus organization. And I think it kind of goes back to what you mentioned there about maybe there being some disconnect between management and how the fans are seeing things. I, I read your tweet uh, earlier this afternoon that, you know, David Yurichek was walking out of the Saddle Dome and likely to be uh, sent back to AHL Cleveland. And reading the replies yeah. from Blue Jackets fans, that sure seems to be a player where the fans think he's NHL ready and would like to see him spending more time with the big club, but the organization maybe doesn't feel the same way. What kind of season has it been from David Yurichek and why is there such a maybe a, a disconnect between what the fans want to see and how the organization's handling it. Yeah, th that's a weird one. And it's been a weird one from the start, uh, frankly. I, I don't think anybody would have been, well, maybe David Yurichek would have been disappointed or upset, but I think most fans would have understood if he went back to AHL Cleveland for another year. But it wasn't handled that way. He started in Columbus. He got He played 10 games. The team told him to get a place. And then three days later, they sent him to Cleveland to play a couple of games. Well, get a place means you're here. Anyways, that was a weird sort of uh, changing of, of gears, you know, slamming it into reverse while you're in drive kind of thing. And then he was the help just stepping forward to the recent uh, past. He was healthy scratch in two straight games. Then he was sent back to Cleveland to play two games. Then he was recalled from Cleveland flew to Edmonton where he was a healthy scratch and now he's going back to Cleveland. What is going now, on? He missed the game in Cleveland. He missed the game in Cleveland last night where he could have played. Hasn't played an NHL game since January 9th. If my thing is you, you just can't be in between with these players and I think there's a lot of frustration uh, with by Yurichek and his camp with how this has been handled. Of course, he thinks he's an NHL player, but if he's not, then he's not and send him to Cleveland and let him play. This kind of stuff is, is uh, I don't think beneficial for anybody. And, you know, there, there were some questions too. who's going to be able to play against Edmonton on Tuesday is Boakvist good enough to play. So I get, you need an extra body, but if this is about his development, keep him in Cleveland, let him play last night in Cleveland and bring Jake Christensen or one of your other sort of veteran AHL guys up. Um, I just think, from the, especially from the outside looking in, this looks like it's been a very poorly handled, and I don't think it's gone over well with David Yerchek or those close to him. Porty, what's the latest with the Blue Jackets and their goaltending situation? Uh, we know Elvis Merzlikens uh, a couple weeks back had, had talked about the fact that uh, potentially a new change of scenery could be good for him, and there's been some discussions about that, yeah. and you, we were able to lump in his name with what could be a growing number of goaltenders available on the trade market, depending on how people see it. Yeah. What's the latest uh, when it comes to that story? Well, Elvis's uh, comments off the ice have been as erratic as his play on the ice. 
Um, when we first talked to him, he went a long time without playing, and it got to a point where it's like, okay, what really what's going on here? Um, it made no sense for Pascal Vincent, the head coach of the Blue Jackets, to start Daniil Tarasov in five out of six games and say, um, well, we need to look at Tarasov. We need, you know, our season is where it is. We got to start looking at our younger players. And then Juracek's being scratched and Antilles moving to the wing because they're still trying to win these games. Well, wait a minute, which, which is it? So that finally came to a head. Elvis said at first, I did not ask for a trade, but in speaking with the front office, where they stand, where, where how they think of me, how I'm going to be used, blah, blah, blah. We reached uh, a, an agreement that a new solution, a new scenario, sorry, would be best. The next day, Elvis said, I requested a trade. And then, according to his agent, he went into the back room, called his agent, and said, I just misspoke to the media. So now the narrative is that David, that uh, Elvis Merzlikens has not requested a trade, but is open to one if that's where the, the, the team uh, feels is best. Let's be honest. If they get an offer for Elvis Merzlikens that makes any sense for them, he's gone. He is gone. Um, this... Having said that, this is not an easy contract to move. It may be uh, said that it's impossible to move him at this point. Where does the line form for a player with mediocre and inconsistent stats uh, and a reputation for sort of off-ice volatility who makes $5.4 million for three years after this one? That is a short line. That line may be uh, a mirror, uh, you looking into it. Um, I, I just don't think they can move him unless they eat something completely uh, awful coming back the other direction. The only remedy here, and this is the path that they have now taken, is for him to play and the Blue Jackets to play him regularly, the guys in front of him to play well in front of him, and try to prop him up until such time that another team thinks that he could benefit from a new surroundings. And that's where that stands. Speaking of the group directly in front of the goaltenders, uh, Porti, this is the second year Columbus has made some major adds to their blue line. It was Eric Branson two seasons ago. This last offseason, Damon Severson and Ivan Provorov uh, joined the club. Has there been a noticeable shift defensively with those kind of names coming in? Have they gotten the sort of defensive results they were hoping for as they kind of remake their blue line behind Zach Rowenski? Well, I will say this. I think the play in their own zone has been better. I think they get out of their zone a lot quicker on most nights. I have to say the statistics don't exactly uh, support me in this. They're 31st in the league in goals against. In a year where Elvis uh, Merzlikens, the we just discussed, has actually been dramatically better than he was last year. He's gone from one of the worst goaltenders in the league to now an average goaltender. But they're still giving up. 3.7 goals a game. They gave up over four last year. The only team that's worse than them uh, on per game average this year is San Jose, dead last in the league. So, you know, it needs to be a ton better. Again, this raises the question. David Juracek can't play on that group? Really? Yeah. Um, they're, they're still wheeling Peak out, Andrew Peak. They're wheeling Jake Bean out, although I think Peak might be a healthy scratch tonight to get Wierenski back in the lineup. And let's be honest, getting Wierenski back in is going to help them. They're much more of a, at least one pair for them is a puck possession pair. When Wierenski is in the, the lineup, the other one's not so much. 
Um, so that will help. And they've had injuries back there, but but it's not a good defensive team. Uh, how would you rate the job of uh, head coach Pascal Vincent to this point? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a lot of question marks. I think sometimes the public messaging has not been good and has led to confusion. Um, I think sometimes that's the product of a first-time NHL coach. But on the other hand, I, I think, as I, as I said early on in our conversation, it's hard to look at this team and not notice that Cole Sillinger has become a much better player just in the course of the season. Um, it's the first time we've seen Igor Chinikov have a sustained stretch where he looks like a player. If they play as they did tonight, as they did the other night in, in Edmonton, there will be moments where you watch them play tonight and say, you know, this team isn't that bad, are they? And they are. It, they get there. They've had a ton of trouble in the third period. Chuck that up to their inexperience in some ways. Um, but they've gotten a little better at how they handle third periods. They don't freeze and get overwhelmed as they did early in the season. They just haven't been together. There's not a lot of cohesion here. There's been a ton of turnover. This is what people look at when they don't want to do rebuilds because this is the hard part. It's easy to sell off your parts and get first-round draft picks and make first-round draft picks. It's this part right here where you're just sort of in the middle of an evolutionary adaptation and you can't really see where your team is going or what it's going to look like because you've got so many young, unsettled players. That's really where they're at. The lines are all over the place. The pairs are all over the place. Uh, the goalie's been erratic, but but better. Uh, and they don't know how to win. But that's that's those are the tough lessons you learn with a young team in the NHL. To that extent, Aaron, if this is a team that, that stays the course in his bottom five when it's all said and done after 82 games this season, is it going to be Yarmo Kekalainen or somebody else that gets to decide the future of this organization with another high draft pick coming up in the summer? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the heat under Yarmo Kekalainen's chair has turned up now uh, higher than it has been at any point in his tenure. I think that's another risk uh, that goal, that uh, GMs, when they decide to rebuild, if you're not the new guy on the job, uh, like if you're, if you're Pat Verbeek in Anaheim right now, you've got time. People understand. Um, if you've been on the job 10 years, as Yarmo as, uh, Kekalainen has been as of next month, um, people start to wonder where this thing is going. And it's been, it's been choppy. I think the Babcock hiring and firing before he even coached the game was a black mark on the organization. Uh, it's been very loud this year between Babcock, between uh, – Elvis Merzlikens between Yurichek now. Um, there's just a lot of stuff going on that I, you know, the ownership here doesn't like uh, to have to get involved. And we've seen cases this year where the ownership has felt it necessary to be involved. And that's not a good sign for the GM here either. He's Darren Porchline, who covers the Columbus Blue Jackets for The Athletic. He's joining us for a look at the opposition. It's the Blue Jackets and the Flames for the second time this season, Logan Gordon and Julian McKenzie along with you this afternoon. I don't know how we went through this entire conversation with you, Porty, by Ew. barely mentioning Johnny <laughs> Gaudreau. I don't know how we did it, but we did it. This this is obviously... We're making progress. I, yeah. I think so, yeah. How has his season been in Columbus? Uh, so let's... St 
start with October to like say mid November, he was a disaster. He was a disaster. Not a good player. Jeez. Jeez. Um, Not moving his feet. Not, you know, when you watch Johnny Gaudreau play a hockey game, you can't not notice him when he's at his best. And he was unnoticeable uh, for long stretches. I mean, I never thought, I never thought you'd see it reach the point where he got sat or played, you know, 13 minutes a night, 14 minutes a night, but that's where it was. In fairness to him, after that slow start, he's been much more like a Johnny Gaudreau type player uh, than than he was certainly. I, he's not as explosive as he was that last season in Calgary. I don't know that the Blue Jackets can surround him in a way that makes that possible. Um, but he's he has been much better, and and part of it is, and I have a colleague that points this out all the time. He's a playmaker, and this is a team that doesn't have a lot of very talented, ready-to-deliver playmakers and finishers. So a lot of Johnny Gaudreau's best plays go to die. Um, but he is you'll notice him tonight. He has been noticeable again for, for two months. But it was not a great start uh, for him at all. And, and he's kind of been close to a point of game. He's a leading scorer again now after picking it up. But, you know, 7-22, uh, 29 in 46 games, minus 23. Um, I don't, I don't think he, at this point he would look back on this season and say that this has been a, a success, a full-blown success for him either. Uh, last one for you, Aaron, before we go, I don't even know if, if you might have had this thought cross your mind. It's one that just popped into mind uh, for me after the last game for the Calgary Flames. But last time these two teams met, uh, a bit of an issue at the end of the game with Rasmus Anderson and a hit on Patrick Laine that caused him yeah. to miss some time. It's uh, an era of hockey that's been gone for a long time, as you would know, uh, as well as anybody who's been covering the game for as long as you have. Any idea, any sense with the Columbus Blue Jackets that somebody might have something to say uh, to Rasmus Anderson in their first game since that incident? That's a good question. There's um, Line is not playing tonight, so that may impact it. Line, I'm not, not sure you expect Line to have something to say, but um, it, it could go that way. I think there are other guys on this team that are wired that way. You would be familiar with Eric Branson. Yes. Um, so that's that I don't rule that out, but I've not gotten a sense that this is a game that has been targeted. Um, I, again, possible. I think the one that the Blue Jackets are maybe bracing for, not yet, but will on this trip, is at Seattle. Yeah. Uh, Cole Sillinger hit Matty Beneers in a game, and I don't think Beneers has played since. Um, he was confronted right then. Um, uh, Vince Dunn stepped up and they fought. So maybe that's over, but I don't think the Kraken expected Veneers to miss as much time as he has, and I don't think that's gone well. So Dillinger could be a busy man that night. But as for tonight, I, I don't put it past to Branson. They really, if, if uh, Matthew Olivier is not in the lineup, there's really not other players here that would uh, address that or even think in that way. Um, and it is a different time. You're right. The, the, the game has changed. Uh, Porcelain, great stuff as always, man. Really appreciate you taking some time for us uh, up here in Calgary. Enjoy the game tonight, and I'm sure we'll chat again sometime soon. 
Okay, guys. Thanks for having me. Pleasure as always. No, appreciate it. Aaron Portsline joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline for a look at the opposition. It's the Columbus Blue Jackets in town for their only visit to Calgary this season. I'll pass that to you, Julian, because I've never, uh, I haven't had a chance to ask you about that. At the time, it sure felt like the next time these two teams were going to meet, maybe somebody would have something to say to Rasmus Anderson, but maybe, maybe time heals all wounds and. You know, maybe it's just a, a forgotten incident at the beginning of the season. Yeah, like that that incident was so long ago, like in the beginning of the year. I, I'd be pretty surprised if blood was boiling so bad that they would find a way to have some kind of retribution. I would understand if this was like a week after or something like that. But what, this was in October? We're in January yeah. now? October, and we're, yeah. we're, in, we're in the second half of the seat. Well, the I don't know. Do you consider the? Well, I consider the forty second game yep. as the official part, yep. second half of the season. Some people may look at the All Star break. Whatever, it doesn't matter. We are so many games past what happened here. And also, I think if you're the Calgary Flames, you're not look. You shouldn't be looking into this game thinking, man, they're going to get back into it. You can't be worried about the Columbus Blue Jackets. You have to worry about yourself and gain these points to put yourself in a playoff picture. Big one for the Flames again. Six o'clock Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg. Seven o'clock puck drop right here. On your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, the fan with Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson on the call. That's a wrap on hour one. We're going to kick off hour two when we come back with our pal Adnan Verk. Our Thursday regular kicking off the show uh, in hour two. We'll also hear more from the Calgary Flames, including head coach Ryan Huska and more. It's a game day. Keep it locked right here on your home of the Flames. This is Sportsnet 960, the fan.